morning. Thank you for tuning in to KAPL. And at this hour, this is Peter John with you for Rogue Grace. It's a beautiful day here in Southern Oregon, in the Applegate Valley, near the town known as Rutch. So wherever you're listening, I know that you want to hear from God. That's not me. I'm not God. Not even so much God's voice, but we can and will open God's word. Right? I think about the words of Jesus in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking to the crowd, the multitude of people there in Matthew chapter 5. And he gets on the subject of lawsuits, you know, and into legal matters that even back then, thousands of years ago, they were having to deal with and sort out and work through. And Jesus talks about the one who is going to sue them. The, the listener, the, the person who is listening to his words, and how to respond to that particular kind of lawsuit. And Jesus, as you know, says to those that were listening to his sermon, if that person who is suing you or has a lawsuit against you. If they are trying to take your tunic, give them your cloak as well. If they demand you walk a mile, then with their stuff, their gear, walk a second mile. And there in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is telling those that were listening, listen, it's not a matter of you getting the victory in the court system or escaping liability. He says there's something so much bigger and better than that. It's loving your enemies, not retaliating against them. You've heard it said in the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Jesus says, do not resist the one who is evil. But if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Do not resist the one who is evil. Do you, are you faced with that right now, today, this week, this season in your life? Someone with bad intentions, wrong motivations, skewed perspective. You might even call them evil. 
is seeking to sue you or use you or get from you. Jesus is saying, it's no more, no longer an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Don't be overcome by that person by not not giving to that person, but by trying to resist that person. Interesting. He says concerning that, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. <laughs> That's th- Those are Jesus's words, not mine. Do not resist the one who is evil, the one who has a lawsuit, the one who has skewed plans of whatever it might be. Do not resist that person. Because you see, what you are doing by not resisting that person is trusting in the highest most royal, most powerful judge of any court and of any law. You're trusting in the Lord himself. He will judge. He will sort it out. He is on your side if you don't try to take up your own case and your own cause. Then Jesus is reminding us Your case and your cause will be taken up by God himself. And so Jesus had to go on to live out what he preached in the Sermon on the Mount. When he was smitten on the cheek, he turned the other cheek. When he was being wrongly accused... He didn't open his mouth. He didn't resist the one who is evil. So he didn't, Jesus isn't just speaking a good speech. He's not all words. He also backs these words up with his actions. So, Maybe right now you're up against something, one thing or another with a business relationship or legally, or maybe just in a relationship of another kind where it feels like the person is out to get you. It's not fair. Do not resist the one who is evil, Jesus says. If they slap you, turn the other cheek. Wow. That is so different than even the old covenant, where even as Jesus quotes, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's so different than human nature. But any culture that takes this, not to mention any person that does this, is going to see the wisdom that goes beyond our own mere human understanding or what we would have concluded or done on our own. But they're the words of Jesus. 
So let him take up your cause. Maybe right now you're getting unfairly um, castigated. Maybe right now there is a divorce court that is wrongly and has a, a bad perspective of what went down. Okay. Do not resist the one who is evil, but turn the other cheek. Because you see, as you know, if you won't take the battle or the fight in your own hands, but give it to God, he'll take up your cause. If you or I are busy taking up our own cause, then God will sit back. But if you and I will sit back in faith, then God will take up our cause. And Jesus perfectly exemplified this when they nailed him to the cross and pinned him to the tree. He rose again three days later because he shows us that when you feel as though you're being pinned down, or nailed, or hammered. It's nothing compared to what Jesus went through. And even to the extent of what you're going through, you will rise again if you put it in the hands of the Lord. And don't try to take matters into your own hands. And aren't you looking forward to the millennium, to the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, when it will no longer be a matter of turning the other cheek or walking the extra mile because all things will finally be restored and made right. That's what happens when Jesus is on the throne. When you place Jesus as the front and center, what will happen is all things will be made right. In their time, he will bring about that peace and that shalom that only he can as the son of God. So often we want to take matters into our own hands. That's the natural human tendency Can I give you a word of advice from God's word? Don't take matters into your own hands. Place them into the hands of God. He is the final judge. He's the ultimate arbiter. He is in control. He knows. He sees. And nothing will come down upon you that first didn't have to go through the wisdom and the knowledge of God himself. So let's take the words of Jesus in his sermon on the Mount to heart again, right? Right? 
The world still lives by an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This for that. Lawsuit for lawsuit. That's the way the world operates. Jesus says, you're not of this world. You are of the kingdom of God. So go the extra mile if they ask you to walk one. Give them not just your tunic if they demand it, but also your cloak. Turn the other cheek instead of seeking revenge. That's everything against our human nature that wants to defend or explain ourselves, but it's the way of the kingdom. Therefore, it is the way of life. Because life is not fair. So eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that seems fair, right? But it never will be fair. But Jesus gives us not just this life, but eternal life. So continue not to be looking at life in terms of equality. So often, that's what our culture is into right now, right? Equality. Rights. And it gets a little bit ludicrous, quite frankly. But as Christians, we're not looking for equality and rights. We're following the one who gave up his rights. Because in so doing, he was raised up by God. And so too, if you will give up your rights, your right to be right, your right to defend your right, if you will give that up, you put it in the hands of God. He will lift you up. He will raise you up. He will stand up for you and for your rights. So once again, let me read to you from Jesus. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Man, Jesus, so enlightened, so wise. No one knew nor still does know the law like Jesus what an interpretation. What revelation that Jesus gives to us who will listen to his words, 
which we call the Sermon on the Mount. Do not resist the one who is evil. And whoever that might be, fill in the blank. Apply that to your life and watch and see that God will take up your cause. God sent His Son They called Him Jesus He came to love He See the 
have found or in my uh observations in the church here in the united states coast to coast that rarely if ever in a church or a congregation does the minister or the pastor the preacher does he preach pure law you know, you will be saved if you keep God's commandments. That that doesn't necessarily happen. That would be more of a synagogue, right? Or a Judaistic congregation. So whether it's a community church, a Baptist church, a mega church, a Calvary chapel, uh, I don't hear a minister or a preacher, a pastor, preach pure law. Do good, be blessed, do bad, be cursed. Rarely will you ever hear, if ever, you are saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. But you know what? Though it's not preached like that, what I'm on my horse about, so to speak, and have been for quite a while now, is the deadly combination of the two the mixture of grace and the law. So you're saved by grace and now you're holy because you keep the law or you're blessed because you obey God's commandments. Now, see, that's it's very touchy or it's fragile because you are blessed when you keep God's commandments. But the just my this just this guy for whatever it's worth, which may be very little, my observation is that is so emphasized. See, whenever the apostles, whenever Paul would tell the church in the um, New Testament to refrain from, let's say, sexual immorality, rightly so or to not steal, rightly so, or to watch one's speech, rightly so. The problem I have, this is my personal observation, is that so often that a sermon is taken from those texts without the rest of the context. See, let's imagine, Paul says, don't swear, don't cuss, right? 
Um, but for the listener who is listening to that letter being read in the church, they're in the first century, that only comes after chapters one, two, and three of Ephesians. That you have been justified. That you are saved, not by works, but by grace, lest anyone should boast. That you are a new creation. The, the, let's just say the book of Ephesians, for example. Though it's widely and hugely established. You are not made righteous by your own work or performance. It has nothing to do with your behavior. Then finally, at the end of chapter 4, or into chapter 5 and 6, Paul gets around to don't lie, children obey your parents, employers treat with kindness and generosity your employees, wives submit to your husbands, and so on and so forth. The sad thing to me is Gra comes because the minister will take just those last parts. Wives submit, children obey, or what have you. And maybe not even use those very words because they're, quote, out of style. But some other tip on living life or how to be a better Christian or how to succeed, whatever it might be, fine. They can even find scriptures and use them, but they're not putting it in the full context. That's what I'm saying. The mixture of law and grace is deadly. So just as you go to church, make sure that the gospel is being presented not just alluded to, but really presented and laid out, right? Make sure that the gospel is being presented first and foremost, and then comes instruction and direction, no doubt. We'll be right back.
of the 30 chief men of David's army. Three went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam. When a camp of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was at Bethlehem. David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord. And said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Check it out. In all of the other accounts in that passage, in Second Samuel 23, you read about incredible, valiant victories of different men over Egyptians and giants and lions. You read about defense of fields and how they overcame numerous Philistines. And then you have this story that I just read, this account. It says at the end, these things the three mighty men did. The top three of all of the men of David's army. The 800 mighty men of David. These were the three at the top. And what did they do? In order to merit such a recognition, in order to attain such a title as being the top three, they got David a drink of water. <laughs> yeah, others slew giants, defended fields. But when David wanted some water from his hometown, they got water for David. And he was so moved, he said, only the Lord is worthy of this. See, the other men, as great as it was, what they did, the other guys, 
was for the kingdom. As great as that was, and I'm not diminishing that. I'm glad it's here in the Bible, those actions of David's mighty men. But what those three guys did that set them in a class all by themselves is what they did for the king. And here's the thing. This group of three, they did nothing, if, if you would, for the kingdom or for the people. Everything they did was for the king. He wanted water and they got it for him. Wonderful. That they are placed in this place of honor because they got a drink of water for the king and refreshed. It, it, it could have, would have refreshed him, except he even said, I'm not worthy of this. Remember what Jesus said? Oh, Martha, Martha, you're so uptight when your sister Mary has chosen the better part. What's that? You're uptight. You're busy, you're serving, but Mary is sitting at my feet. Oh man, the Bible has a way of reorganizing our priorities. I need to slay giants. I need to be busy. I need to get my act together. Jesus is saying, have a seat. I mean, look at his disciples. He had 70 disciples used for the kingdom. Two by two, they were sent out around the land, what we call Israel. So they were used for the entire kingdom, those 70. But then you have 12 that were for the people, doing ministry for the people, healing the sick, spreading, giving the loaves and the fish, right? Then you have just three who were there when great things and great revelation was given on the Mount of Transfiguration in the Garden of Gethsemane. Beautiful insight and revelation. But then you just have one who was so close to Jesus that he could hear the heartbeat of God in the flesh when he put his head on the chest of Jesus in that upper room, that Passover meal where they were reclined around the table. So what's the secret? Doing more, more Bible study, being more mature. Those things are good. But those things all come from knowing that you are the disciple that Jesus loves. See, Jesus loved all the disciples, but John knew it. So then, therefore, when Jesus, quote, needed, end quote, John the most at the cross, John was there. Don't you know that today you are the disciple? You're the woman. You're the man that Jesus loves. 
Don't you know that today you are the one that is on his mind and on his heart? And it's not because you're doing more good things and you're having more Bible study and you're more mature. No, it's because he loves you. I love you because I love you, God said to Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. (laughs) As good as it is to be busy in the kitchen like Martha, or wonderful as it is to preach the gospel like the 70 disciples, or used for the kingdom, beautiful first things first come and sit at Jesus's feet and know that you are the one that he loves all hail the power of Jesus name let angels prostrate fall bring forth the from the fall hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him lord of all hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him lord of all to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Okay, that was the DC Talk guy, now a Newsboys guy. When I said, I'll hail the power, that's not what I had in mind, but all right. All right. Cross that one off. I, for some reason, I approved that song, whatever it was, two years ago, a year ago, so my bad. Uh, but the song's still good. Just not necessarily that version. But then again, that's just my opinion. Anyways, 
It's been said, rightly so. It is safe to say there is no Christianity without the cross. If the cross is not central to our religion, then ours is not the religion of Jesus. Man, do I want to tell that to preachers and pastors in our land from coast to coast. Are you preaching the cross? For Paul stated, I will preach nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, if I was the author of that text, which you can be fairly grateful to God that I'm not actually really grateful, I would have wrote, I am determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him resurrected. But that's not what Paul says. Paul states, and him crucified. So that's the priority. That's the place. Jesus said, eat of my body, drink of my blood, do this in remembrance of me. I, 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 I'm putting a lot of thought into this and I asked my dad about this. So why Jesus Christ and him crucified? Why not Jesus Christ and him resurrected? Because I think it's possible and often does take place that the resurrection is emphasized. Jesus is live. So we're good. It's all good. But wait a minute. Nobody wants to talk about the price that it cost him the depth of our sin. Everyone wants to talk about resurrection. And that's fine. But Paul said, I am determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That means I have to look at my own sin, which I would have to look at, but now it's covered by the blood of Jesus. But I'm aware of the fact that my sin nailed him to the tree. Jesus and him crucified. Do this in remembrance of me. And then the resurrection will naturally follow. But so often I think people want to say, I'm determined to do nothing but Jesus Christ and him resurrected. But as I said in that quote, if the cross is not central to our religion, then ours is not the religion of Jesus. You know, in the early church, they used to, and still many churches today, and I think this is not a bad thing, make the sign of the cross upon the front, the chest, the forehead of the person when they greet each other or when a priest is doing the service. That's not a bad thing, in my opinion. Listen to what the early church leader we might call him a church father, Tertullian said about the sign of the cross. He said, at every forward step and movement, at every going in and out, when we put on our clothes and shoes, when we bathe, when we sit at the table, when we light the lamps, sit on the couch on any seat, in all ordinary actions of life, we trace upon the forehead the sign of the cross. So, in other words, 
were determined to know nothing other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because in doing that now, we are able to love each other, to forgive each other, and to know that one another, we are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. is not advice about trying to make it happen. 
It is news on what has already been done. Please get that into your minister or your preacher or your pastor's head. (laughs) If he or she is simply a motivational speaker, that's fine. But if they are claiming to be a minister or a preacher of the Bible, please get it into their head. I'm suggesting that the gospel is not advice about trying to make it happen. It's news about what has already been done. Right. Now, here's the good news for us then. That's why it's called the gospel, because it means that we are able to obey. And I say this reverently. I say this, please hear me out, but we're also free to fail. That is, I know that my performance, my adhering to commandments is not the basis that God accepts me in the first place. So, I am not his son or his child because I've been trying really hard. I am his child because I believe in his gospel of Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. So in that case, in that sense, I'm not only able to obey, but I'm free to fail. But God will keep me from falling and failing perpetually, eternally. It's beautiful. I I like this power of the gospel. So when you tune in to my radio program, rarely will you get advice about trying to make it happen. More often, you'll hear the news that it is finished. Thanks for tuning in. May the Lord bless you on this beautiful morning as we're heading into the afternoon. Hey, I'm doing a retreat this weekend on the power of the gospel. So if you haven't signed up yet, you're more than welcome to join us. Sign up in the church office and join us on the mountaintop this weekend. And here's a a little insight. It's not going to be a weekend or a retreat of fasting. Maybe there are those there are those at times, but this one won't be. So come join us. Looking forward to it. Price? Well, if you go to the Applegate, it's free. Thanks for tuning in. And unless God sends his son to come and get us today, or unless you or I join his son in heaven today, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye.